Uh, and then one other quick announcement. Uh, believe it or not, I mean, I guess you've seen, you're seeing all the road signs and all the, the streets or the signs in people's yards. There is an election coming up uh, on May 18th. Uh, that would be the Tuesday after Mark and Victoria are here on that Sunday. Uh, and, it's, of course, every election is important. This one is, I think sometimes we think the, the non-big ones, the non-presidential ones are not as important. Uh, I've realized that I think that they are. In fact, that sometimes I think that they're more important uh, because a lot of the local things, the smaller things, the place where things get done and the place where things truly affect our day-to-day lives begin to happen. Uh, so I think it's important for us to make sure we go out and vote on May 18th. Uh, there is, there is a, uh, a guide in the back. Uh, it's actually right on that table as you leave. Uh, it is actually, it's a pro-life guide uh, because a lot of the things that are up right now are judges uh, that are coming up for election here uh, in the next couple weeks. So I just encourage you, you know, you can grab one of these guides and take a look. But even more so, I encourage you to go understand what the races are who's running in those, do your research, do your prayer, and actually ask the Lord, Lord, you know, what is my part to play in this, not just in voting, but what is my part to play in sharing and sharing the gospel and being involved in this entire process? So it is, it's 2021, you're like, is there even election? Yes, there is. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going on, and so I just wanted everyone to be aware of that. And again, those guides are on the back table uh, on the way out. Okay, before I pray uh, over our offering, uh, our tithes and offerings here. I got some exciting news. Anybody want some exciting news? Yes. All right. If you haven't noticed, anybody notice? Come on. That's right. One of our $25,000 squares of debt has been removed in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are super excited about that. We got one more left to close out on that top rung. Uh, so the number that is, uh, I said, what do you say, exposed? So bad. The number that is exposed, the number that's being shown is uh, $1,125,000. That's what we have left to pay off. Actually, the number is $1,119,000, if you want to know specifically. So we're already six grand into the next block, amen? So I just encourage you, if you want to participate in this, uh, in paying down the debt, it is the second line on the offering envelope. Again, I say this all the time, it is above and beyond your tithes and offerings, uh, We use the tithes and offerings for our daily operating budget that happens on an ongoing basis to pay for salaries and facilities and do the things that we do here. Uh, But this is above and beyond, and we take that money, we put it directly towards the principal. Not to the interest, but that money goes directly to the principal to pay it down. And we're believing... We had this word of a year and a half ago or so when this was at 1.3 million and it's already almost at 1.1 is that God will pay off this debt at an accelerated rate. And the word was two to three times faster than what if we would have just paid normally over the course of time. And I think at that time there was maybe 15 years left on the mortgage. So to me, the math major says two to three times faster would be like, you know, five years or less. Amen. So that's what we're believing for and going for, uh, that we really believe God wants us to be a debt-free organization for a lot of reasons, uh, not the least of which is I love Northwest Bank, but they're making a lot of money on us, and I'd rather use that money for the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray over our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you are bringing that debt down. It's by your work, by your will, Father God. 
your will for this church is to be debt-free, and so we accept that, and we receive it, uh, and we do, Father God. We stand on the word on that because it is a biblical uh, mandate, Lord, so we thank you for it. And Lord, we just thank you for every gift, every giver. We put our trust in our finances completely and totally in you and in you alone. Father, we don't look to our boss or to our jobs, to our pension, to Social Security, to the government. We look nowhere but to you as the true source of our provision. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to continue uh, speaking today on this message, this kind of mini-series that we're doing that came out of uh, the baptism. And the, the message title is, What Hinders You? What is it? What is hindering you? And the reason why I believe it's so important, because as we move forward in time, we begin to get closer and closer to Jesus' return. That's mathematically a true statement, right? Because it says tomorrow is one day closer than we would be today. And so we know that we're going to... Do we know exactly when Jesus' return is going to be? No. Do we know absolutely for sure everything that's going to play out and how it's going to play out? No. But the Bible gives us some general guides of what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And what we've been seeing recently in our culture and recently in the United States of America, I feel this, this, this sense that we are moving and we're moving in a way that in the coming years, and the Bible does predict this, so this isn't like a prophetic word from Pastor Jason, is that the church will face additional persecution than what we are facing today. And you would say, well, Jason, look around. There's churches all over the world that are facing mass persecution. Yes, that is a true statement. So there is persecution, but I do believe that the church in the U.S. will see it. Now, Liz asked me last week, like, well, you know, you said that last week. What does that mean? You know, I don't know exactly what that means or how it all plays out. If I knew, then we'd have a perfect strategy around facing that. But God knows everything, amen? And we have the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Who knows everything, who lives on the inside of us. So we want to run this church and lead and guide this church in a way that we are preparing ourselves and the church for what's coming ahead of us. That's why this is up on the wall. We're preparing the church, but we also want to prepare the people who is the church. And I believe this, what hinders you, is so in, such an important question for us to ask because we really need to be moving aside everything that is hindering us from moving closer and closer and closer in our walk with Jesus. And the thing is, is every one of us is on this journey. Every one of us is on different parts of this journey. Some of us just recently made Jesus our Savior, and we're just in the beginning part of the journey, but we're all on the journey. And we all have to ask ourselves, what's hindering me? Say, well, you know, Pastor Jason, I've been a Christian for 60 years, and nothing is hindering me. <laughs> ask the Lord. <laughs> ask the Lord if that's a true statement or not. Every one of us has something that hinders us, whether it's pride or doubt or fear or something. Something hinders us from moving closer to the Lord. And we have to continually be asking ourselves the question, because I think the challenge is if you don't ask the question, you just keep moving forward. And you're not seeing what might be hindering you and blocking you from either turning to the left, turning to the right, moving fast. Whatever he might have for you, we have to be asking these questions. And so last week, 
we talked about doubt and unbelief. Let me read, let me read Acts chapter 8 real quick. I want to read the same passage of scripture that we read uh, last week. And what I had shared with you guys is Acts is chronological. So things are happening in Acts 1 all the way through Acts chapter 8, where we're going to read this morning. And if you look through Acts 1, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. Thank you, Jesus. Always delivering on his promises. And then at the end of Acts chapter 2, the church begins to gather and begins to grow. And they begin to face some persecution. And then in Acts chapter 7, we read about the stoning of Stephen, who is preaching basically the gospel message and Jesus takes him, he has no pain, I mean, God, God takes him, which is an amazing thing. But at the beginning of chapter 8 in Acts, it says, then there was a great persecution. A great persecution hit the church, which meant before there was persecution, but there was an event. That event changed things. And if you look back at our recent history in the United States, there have been events that have changed the course of history, that have changed how things operate. Anybody notice that recently? Right? There's been things, without naming them, you guys can think of them, there's been events that have changed, and I believe there will be other events in the future that change. So we have to begin to ask ourselves this question in Acts chapter 8, verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Philip He's out on the road. He's all by himself. The church is scattered. There's apostles and disciples all over the place, but they're still bringing the gospel message. Still bringing the gospel message. Like each and every one of us has to bring the gospel message to our schools, to our workplaces, to our families, wherever God has placed us. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? This was his next step. So I ask you, what is your next step and what is hindering you from taking that next step in your walk with the Lord? And last week we talked about walking through hindrance number one is what I had called it. It was doubt and unbelief. And today I want to talk about hindrance number two, self-pity. Ooh. Oh. That's not me, everyone says. Like the first thing everyone's thinking, oh, that's not me. I don't have any self-pity. Ah, just wait a second. Just wait a second. Because I can tell you, I, I get it. I have it. I get it. I battle it. I, it's ch challenge for me. And it's, I'm not saying if I have it, you have it. But what I'm saying is all of us have it to some way, shape, or form in some extent. So what, what is self-pity? What is its definition? You know, if you Google it, it's excessive self-absorbed unhappiness over one's own troubles. You think, wow, that's a, pretty, you know, that's a pretty serious definition. I don't feel like I don't relate to that. But here's what happens is we all put up the filter of everything that happens and how it affects us in our life. Right? Don't we all do that? Like every event that happens, it's like we put up the filter like, how is this going to affect me? How is this election going to affect me? 
How is this event that's happening? I see how it's going to affect. Like, we all do it. It's, it's somewhat natural, like, because we're concerned about ourselves. That's not a bad thing. But we all begin to look at every event that happens, and we begin to say, how does this affect me? And the challenge becomes is when we begin to count all these things and add them all up, we begin to get into a place where we're beginning to lose our trust in God. And we begin to looking at all of the circumstances and the situations that surround us. And it begins to hinder us from taking the next step. So I've got four different, four different ways. I've got a lot of different points today. You just have to bear with me. Write them down if you uh, would like to. It's probably a good idea. Four different ways that I see that this issue comes upon us. And we, it was, you all will relate to one of them or multiple of them. And I'm not giving you the answer on how to deal with it yet. We're going to get there in a minute. But number one is tragic life circumstance. You know what? I mean, there are many of you here today or that can hear my voice or are watching online that have every single right in the world to feel self-pity because of what happened to you, what someone did to you, the circumstances that you grew up in, how your father treated you, what happened to you in school, a loss of a loved one way before their time. Thing after thing after thing you could rattle off that these circumstances began to affect me. But God doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want you to stay in the past. He wants you to live for today and have hope for the future. He doesn't want you to stay there. The second one, this is a challenge a lot of us have. Uh, number two, this is the second way that we begin to uh, show or have self-pity in our life is an entitlement or an expectation problem. Mm-hmm. This is mine. I have this problem all the time. I walk around with the expectation that nothing bad is going to ever happen. And so you say, well, Jason, you're just believing in faith. You know, you're just having a good old, you're having your faith walk. If you believe nothing ever bad will happen, then nothing ever bad will happen. Well, what the Bible says in John 16, it says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In Jesus we have peace. So technically correct when we're with Jesus, we always will have his peace. But in the world, you what? You will. You will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So I think so often we have to watch what our expectation is. We have an expectation problem that nothing bad is ever going to happen. And in the same way, I think we have an entitlement problem. We have an entitlement problem. We feel entitled. Well, I read my Bible, and I pray, and I do all these things, and I am entitled to living a life free from trouble. It doesn't work that way. In this world, you will have trouble. There will be tribulation. There will be challenges. Jesus will return. We will see things that will happen. And we have to be very careful that we don't walk around with this entitlement that says, well, I live in America, so nothing bad will ever happen to me. Not a true statement. Not a true statement. The third way that we kind of bring on this self-pity in our life is, is we say it's our personality. I'm just melancholy personality. I did all the tests, every Myers-Briggs and DISC assessment. You know, I did every test, and it all says that I'm just melancholy. 
and that I'm going to be sad, and everything that happens, it affects me deeply. And these are all true statements, but God doesn't want to leave you there. Just because he created you that way, that's okay, but you can't stay there. You can't live there, and you can't park yourself there. you got to get the car out of park when you're in that situation. And then the fourth way, I added this one this morning. I got my notes, one, two, three, and then I added number four, is by complaining. Complaining. Come on, Pastor. We can get ourselves into self-pity by complaining. Oh, my goodness, the words that are coming out of our mouth, the things that we are fussing and complaining about, and all these, oh, my goodness gracious, like, this is me too, right? I will just be talking about something, and I just start complaining about this, or can't believe it's taking so long for the pool to get open, or why is the weather, why does it still have to be 40 overnight? When's it ever going to get warm? Right, I mean, we start just vomiting complaints, And we get ourselves in self-pity and we start walking around a little slower, right? You know, and then we start dragging a little bit. Oh, woe is me. The difficulties I have. And I don't want to belittle some of the challenges that you are actually going through. So don't take that the wrong way. But we have to be careful with what we're saying and how we're speaking because we have this, this propensity sometimes as humans to complain. Oh. I went out to dinner, I can't believe it. I always get a steak, and this time the steak was horrible. Like, we forget about the 20 other times that the steak was wonderful. But that one time, we remember that, don't we? Oh, that steak. Or the server. God bless servers. You know, God bless servers at restaurants. Yeah, I mean like servers at restaurants, you know, specifically. I encourage you to tip well. If you don't remember anything else of this message, remember, Pastor Jason said we should tip well when we go out to eat with our servers. Because I'll tell you what, that is a hard job. This lady did it for many years. And boy, can we fuss and complain. And the more we, I can't believe she can come back and get me any water. I asked for a lemon with my water and she didn't bring it. I don't understand what he's doing, what he's taking so long. He sees my coffee is almost empty. Why isn't it? Right? And so we begin to say these things, and we begin to, like, our tip in our mind is like, right? Like, this is how we, I get it. This is, I do this. This is how we live. So we have to, the Lord says, I don't want to keep you there. But here's the thing I want you to know. You're not alone. Go to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're not alone. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of all time. The greatest, one of the greatest, miracle after miracle after miracle he is doing and showing. And the scripture we're going to read comes just after the whole scene of the altar where he calls the prophets of, the, of Baal, you know, the, the, the false god, says, you know, burn up this altar, call fire down from your god. Nothing happens. And then Elijah's like, pour some water on it. Right, put the altar there, pour some more water on it. Then he does it a third time, pour some more water. There's water flowing all over, all over this offering that they're going to say, and he calls down fire from heaven, and God delivers and burns it all up, and he says, get those prophets, let's take them out and kill them, and they do. All of this just happened. Like the most powerful thing you could ever experience, like I've never had that happen in my life, that's so cool. 
So cool. Some of you probably want to call fire down sometimes on things. And God doesn't do it, thank God. Right? <laughs> he knows what's good for us. But here in verse 4, it says this. 1 Kings 19, verse 4. But he himself, notice that, he himself. He himself. He went, now, now he's on his own. He himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He's going into self-pity here. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So he just saw all this happen. So what this tells me is this isn't circumstantial. This is something we have to understand how to walk through and to be, be able to reign over self-pity in our own lives. Amen? Okay, so here's what I, here's what I think we should do. As, as, as we're walking out this day-to-day life, I believe we need to ask ourselves some reflective questions. We have to ask ourselves reflective questions because we need to get to the point where we have to understand what are we feeding on. What are we feeding on? Are we feeding on that self-pity or are we feeding on faith and trust in God? And I've got some questions I want to ask us, and you can write these down. I want you to think about them in your day-to-day life. And each question that I have, that I pose, I kind of offer a solution to work through. And, And you might be like, all four of those apply to me, just one, whatever it is. But just listen to them and work on them. Because what I have found is what you stop feeding dies. Right? That's like a that's like a physics, that's like a life principle. What you feed lives. And what you stop feeding, you starve it until it dies. And so we have to be walking through what is hindering us from taking the next step. A lot of times it's ourselves, and we have to begin to look at this and ask these questions, say, is this hindering me? And how do I starve this out in my life? Okay, you ready? All right, so all of this combating is we have to do is feeding on the word of God. We have to continue to feed on the word of God. So here's the first question. In what or in whom are you trusting? And I'm going to give some like analogies of your body to help you remember this. This is where are you looking? Where are your eyes at? In what or in whom are you trusting? Meaning, what are you looking at And what are you seeing that you are placing your trust and your hope into? Is it this world? Is it your job? Is it your relationships? Is it your marriage? Because we have found out that having that be like the only cornerstone foundation of our life does not work out. What are we looking at? The Bible says in Psalm 28.7, says the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and what? I am helped. Which means you look at the world, you are not helped. You, you, you have your eyes focused on what's going on in the world, you are not helped. But what the scripture says is the Lord is my strength. When their eyes are focused on him, And on his strength, his goodness, his power, it says, my heart trusted in him, and I am helped. 
Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. Which means if I look at the world, I can't bring myself to praise him. But if I look at him and who he is and what he has done, I can begin to praise him. The second question we have to ask ourselves is what are we saying? What are the words? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? What's that from? Is that from a movie or something? Rush Hour. Oh my gosh, that's a, I, can't, I haven't seen Rush Hour in a long time. Is that Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker? Yeah, movie, movie buffs in here, okay. All right, a little martial arts films, yeah. Understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, right, when he says that, right? So this is, we have to ask ourselves, what are we saying? What's coming out of our mouth? It talks about what are we looking at, but what are we saying out of our mouth? We have to understand that the Bible says there is life and death are in the power of the tongue. So if you want to starve something out and you want to kill it, then you can't be speaking positive things over it. And so when we say, oh, I'm battling this issue with myself and self-pity, we cannot feed that with our mouths. We have to be careful with what we say. Now, I am not telling you to go around, like, you know, if you have a broken arm, somebody gave this example, I don't know who it was, but somebody gave you, if you have a broken arm, you don't have to go around saying, well, my arm's not broken. I'm the healed of the Lord. No, your arm is in a cast, it's broken. Yeah, God is healing it, and we're going to pray for your healing, but don't call things out ridiculously like that they didn't happen. I get it that they have, but we don't dwell on those things. We don't speak over those things. We don't give them life. We don't give them life like, you know what, my arm is broken. I'm not sure it's ever going to heal. Mm. Now, don't say that. Then you're giving life to the circumstance of this self-pity, of this woe is me, and this isn't going to turn out well. Yeah, my, my arm is broken. But God's my healer, and my arm is mending. And when this cast comes off, my arm is going to be even stronger than it was before I broke my arm. Now, those are the things we can say. Those are the things he wants us to say. We have to watch the negative confessions that we say. And I think it's a reflection of where you're at, where your heart is at, right? The Bible says, out of the overflow of your heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. So, like, just reflect back a little bit. Like, sometimes I wonder if I would just, like, put my audio recording. Like, let me voice memo my day and go back and listen to the words that I'm saying. I think some of us, that might be a little scary to go do, yeah? But maybe it's not a bad thing to do or to reflect on the end of the day. Were my words bringing death or were they bringing life to my circumstances and my situation? Was I focusing on complaining and fussing about the situation? Or are my words focused on Jesus and on hope and on the future and on what God is going to turn all things together for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose? Because that's a scripture we can speak over every circumstance that we have. In Mark eleven twenty three, it says this. If I'm going to stand on this, then I'm going to speak a positive confession over my circumstance and not dwell in the self-pity in the circumstance that's before me. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, 
he will have whatever he says. There's life and death in the power of the tongue, but it says we have what we say. And what Liz said earlier is great. I only want to say and claim what I have based on what's in here. It doesn't say I'm going to have a million dollars. Will I? I don't know. That'd be great. But I'm not going to claim a million dollars, but I will claim that I will be the head and not the tail, that I will be above and not beneath, that I'll be the lender and not the borrower, because those are what the word says, and I can stand on those things, and I can speak those things over my life and over the circumstances that I have. So be watchful of your words. So we're looking at what our eyes are looking at, what our mouth is saying. Here's another one. What are my expectations? Where is my heart right now? Where is my expectations? Do we have this belief that nothing bad is ever going to happen? Because if we do, we need to get over that. Yeah, or inconvenienced. Yeah? Okay, let me tell you a story. We were in the Lehigh Valley this week, uh, and my, my wife pointed this out. It was so, so true. We were in the Lehigh Valley this week, and we were going to visit uh, the pastors that we grew up with who married us. We were in their church. We were going to have a meeting with them. Of course, I was home from my dad, you know, because he had passed away, and we were going to go see my mom and take care of some family issues like that. And if you've never been to the Lehigh Valley, I know, Rich, you've been there recently, Lehigh Valley is a busy place, like busy place. Like you drive around Erie, not busy. Lehigh Valley, it's like you might as well be in a major city. There's cars and people and honking horns and traffic. It's absolutely wild. And so we're sitting at a bridge about to go to a Perkins restaurant. And we're sitting at a light. And the light turns green. The person before me doesn't go. Um, I don't go. The person behind me assumes everybody's going. So she drives right into the back of our car. Boom! She just drove right in the back of the minivan. I mean, she just rear-ended us at the stoplight. And I would say the first word that came out of my mouth, but I can't say it because we're on recording and it would be inappropriate. It wasn't so super bad. It may have started with a D and ended with an N and then there was two letters in between. Okay, sorry. So I was like, oh, it's like, boom, it just came out. I was like, oh my gosh, Jason. Like, wow, where did that come from? And, and what I realized is I was mad because I was inconvenienced. Like, now... Oh. Because my mind went right away. To, oh, now look what I got to go do. Now I got to pull off to the side of the road. Now we're going to be late for breakfast. What are they going to think? Oh, there's, there's nowhere to pull off. There's people everywhere. This is a ridiculous place. How could she not see the green light? I mean, she saw it, but I'm stopped. Why would she pull? Right? That's where my mind went versus, oh, maybe here's an opportunity to witness to this girl who's probably stressed and late for work. Like, wow, didn't hit the radar screen at all. Right? The word came out, and I was just upset because I was inconvenienced. And But, guys, stuff like that is going to happen in your life. It's going to happen in your life, and we have to realize when it happens, our response has to be different. And if our response isn't different, to say, Lord, help me <laughs> to make my response different, to know that, to not have this expectation that nothing bad is ever going to happen. Because then when something does, we get super frustrated. But if we have the expectation that God is good and, and trials will happen when something happens, we say God is good. He's going to work this thing out for good. Now, no damage to the car, 
no damage to our necks or back. I mean, we weren't even moving that fast. So God is good. But what I'm saying is we have to be careful. What is the expectation that we have? Where are those hopes in our heart? Are we looking at the wrong things? And then the last one I have is, what are you counting? What are you counting? This is your mind. So we talked about what we're looking at, what we're saying, what we're believing will happen, and then here's our mind. I say this one for last because I feel like a lot of times we need to have our minds transformed over and over and over and over again. And I think that our mind can play a very important part in this situation, in this circumstance. What are we counting? Are you counting the problems or are you counting the blessings? Because once you start counting one of them, you're feeding one of them. I mean, every one of us could rattle off 10 problems that are going on in our life right now. Can I get an amen? But don't do that. Don't deny that they're happening. Don't deny the broken arm. Okay, don't deny it. But don't feed in, don't count them. Because right away, I mean, once you start counting them, it's like they're not even additive. It's like they're multiplied, right? Like the server example at the restaurant. Like, at first it was just the water didn't have a lemon, but then the coffee was late and didn't get a refill, and then the steak was bad, right? You just, like, you start amping yourself up more and more and more as you're counting the problems. But the reverse is also true. When you begin counting the blessings, and you say, oh my goodness, God is so good, he sent Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I've got the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me who knows all things. And I'm going to spend eternity with heaven, with him someday in heaven. And you know, my dad passed away, but he's in heaven and I know it. And I get to spend eternity with him. And you know what, mom? It's okay because soon you will get to spend eternity with dad as well. And you're going to go see Jesus. And if we start counting the positive things and the, the blessings and the scriptural promises within our situation, you should see how the self-pity begins to melt away. Like, I literally, like, this message is for me. Like, I have to do these things. I'm not just saying them. Like, I literally have to do them. Because I will get caught in a self-pity trap. And don't, don't surround yourself with people who will feed your self-pity. That's a, bonus, that's a bonus point. That's not even in the notes. Don't surround yourself with people who will add to yourself the woe-is-me crowd. Because you want to call that person... Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to call that person who's just going to like, woe is you, woe is me, and together we're going to woe this place up. Right? That's who you want to call. You're like, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to call that person who also is probably having a bad day because they always have a bad day. And so together we're going to have an awful day. Like you just want to feed that stuff. Mm, I want to feed it, right? We do that. But be careful. Don't feed it. You want to starve that thing out. You want to call the person that's going to lift you up and show you the blessings that you have and tell you the goodness of God in your life. That's the person you want to call when you have that situation. In fact, you want to be that person that other people call. And we're all on a journey to get there, and we need to get there. All right, uh, Michael, you want to come back up? Play a little background music for me. I want to read this scripture, because you see this happen all the time in the Old Testament. Joshua 4... I think this will be our last scripture here. 
Joshua 4, verse 4. I'm going to read a little ways down. Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. This is a miracle happening. Cross over. Then each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel. Look at this. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And so I would encourage you to write those blessings down. Write those testimonies down. Get 12 of them. Make them like the 12 stones that they're talking about here. Because over and over in the Old Testament, they put stones at a place so they could remember God's goodness and faithfulness. And what happens is when we have the situation, we have a hard time remembering anything good that ever happened to us. But if we have them written down, if we have the stones right there, if we have them in the notebook or on our phone or in a note or in an email, we can go back to it and say, man, I forgot, but God is good. He is faithful. He is seeing me through this challenge. And I believe that this is one of the biggest things that hinders us. And if we can get past this and through this and learn what the scripture says about these things, we can grow even deeper with him. Going further with him. I put down we have to remember that the goal is whole. The goal is whole. That's what he wants for each and every one of us. So bow your heads this morning. Close your eyes. I want to read this scripture with your eyes closed and your head bowed. It's not the benediction, but this is in 1 Peter. I want this to be our takeaway this morning. Starting in verse 6. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Father, this morning, with every head bowed, everyone's eyes closed, I'd ask people to raise their hand if they want prayer for this, 
but I'm just going to assume it's everybody. So, Father, I ask this morning, well, first, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for your word, for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for my sins, to defeat the grave, that I can put my trust and hope in him. So, Father, I ask that you would help us to remember, to count the blessings. Help us to remember to watch the words that we speak. You would help us to be careful that our expectations and our hopes are in you and in you alone. And Lord, that we would be careful on what we look at. For our eyes are the lamp unto the body, the opening to the things that come in. So Father, I ask that you would strengthen us, work on us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your goal is our wholeness. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, if today you say, I have never made Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior, that I've never prayed a prayer, I've never asked him to come into my life to transform it, to be a part of each and every day. Because that scripture said is that in this world we will have trouble. But take heart for I have overcome the world, he says. If that's you this morning, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I ask that you slip your hand up. That you just put your hand up this morning. Just raise it high so I can see it and we can pray with you this morning. Okay. Everyone has made Jesus our Lord and Savior. Look up here this morning. We're going to have some prayer teams that are going to come up here. They can pray with you. I would encourage you, uh, you know, just to, if you have an issue, a challenge, circumstance, whatever it is, they can agree with you in prayer. Pray the prayer of agreement with you. They'll be up here. There'll be uh, a team here and a team here this morning. Babe, you want to come up? I always tack these things on the end like a post-it note, <laughs> right? Um, icing on the cake. Icing on the cake. Oh, that's nice, honey. Thank you. I thought maybe you weren't going to call me up because I have some funny things I could say about self-pity in our house. <laughs> One is that if, um, if your self-pity isn't validated by somebody, you get mad. Mm-hmm. Self-pity wants to be pitied. Self-pity wants to be babied and say, oh, poor baby. You're so, you're so I, you know what? That, that just stinks. You know, you have every right to be. Self-pity doesn't want to hear, well, you know, this. So um, just know that. If you find yourself getting angry at someone because they're not feeling bad for you or they didn't, they didn't commiserate with you good enough, then it's just like this red flag, like you are partnering with self-pity. And then the only other thing was just thankfulness. Mm. Thankfulness will destroy self-pity. And it will move you into faith. And it will move your feet. And you'll begin to move instead of being stuck in the muck and the mire of self-pity. I view self-pity as like a tar pit. 
a tar pit. It's just, you just get stuck. You're not moving. Faith is not there, you know? And so thankfulness. I used to sit in the mobile home, 95 degrees when it was only 80 outside. It's like this little sweat box. And I, instead of getting angry about the situation, I would just try to be thankful for what I loved about the place. And I genuinely came to have affection for the place while actively being excited for what was going to come next. And I'd begin to thank the Lord for the kitchen he had for me and the the backyard and the trees. And oh my goodness, did, did he deliver big time after five years? But thankfulness, find and counting those blessings in the midst of all of our trials, it keeps our feet in motion. It keeps us moving in faith. So that was a phenomenal message. I'm thankful. You know, my notebook is full and I can go back during the week and I can look up these scriptures and just really chew on the things that you give. Um, so I'm just thankful for that. Amen. Well, bow your heads. We're going to do a benediction. And then don't come up and get prayer if you need so. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. In Jesus' name, amen Amen. and amen. You guys are dismissed. Enjoy the beautiful day.